there's no place of self-love that you will reach where you're always going to be compassionate towards yourself. There are always going to be periods where you might treat yourself unkindly or, or think negatively and actually showing that to another person is like part of being in a relationship. It's not getting to a place where you love yourself so that you can, you know, reach this state so you're always perfect with someone. I don't think that you have to reach this perfect state of self-love before you can start to be with another person. I think you need to understand yourself so that you don't hurt that person, so that you can kind of communicate clearly and like get over the inevitable bumps and difficulties in any relationship. But I think there's just a lot of pressure on people now to love themselves completely. And I just don't feel that is realistic. So welcome to welcome to another episode of Time to Talk, where it is usually my job to speak to world-class thinkers of all varieties, and we speak around topics not limited to, but typically around masculinity, mental health, and psychology, and all of the subsections that fall into that, from sexuality to identity to love to belonging and connection and all of the things in between. So welcome to the show if you are new. And if you aren't new, well, welcome back and welcome forward. We keep on keeping on. Um, This week, we have a conversation on love with Natasha Lunn, where we speak about her book, Conversations on Love, based on her very, very popular and successful email newsletter, conversations on love now natasha lunn is the features director of red magazine and as i said she is the creator of the email newsletter conversations on love and we have a chat about her book we have a chat about love in all its forms which is looking at lovers strangers parents friends endings and beginnings and what we discovered in this conversation pretty much was about the the core theme of belonging and wanting to belong in love our need for longing and what that looks like and it was an amazing amazing conversation in the book she has chats with you know acclaimed writers and readers such as Philippa Perry um, on falling in love slowly, Alain de Botton on the psychology of being alone, Dolly Alderton on vulnerability, Candice Carty-Williams on friendship, Diana Evans on parenthood, Lisa Tadeo on grief, and Roxanne Gay on soulmates. And I'm an admirer of most of those people in that list that I just read out, as well as Natasha Lunn, who I've been following for a long time and have been a subscriber of her newsletter for a long time as well so it was a pleasure to speak to her this week on time to talk so let's get into that conversation but before we do get into that convo do remember to join the facebook group that is facebook.com forward slash time to talk support group we chat about everything so if you have any of your questions on love on this conversation on this episode anything to do with that then please throw in your questions into the support group that's what the group is there for and we can explore those topics on talk more the next week and 
loads of other amazing stuff coming up with that group too. So please join the support group as well as rate, review and subscribe in all the places that are relevant for doing so. Now, with all that being said and done, you can find Natasha Lunn on Instagram at Natasha Chloe Lunn. Um, on Twitter at Natasha Lunn, that's L-U-N-N. And you can find her conversations on love, Instagram at conversations underscore on underscore love. And of course, sign up to her newsletter as well. But without further ado, as I always say, buckle up. It's a hell of a ride. Let's get talking to Natasha Lunn on this conversation on love. Hello, 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 Natasha. Welcome to hello. Time to Talk. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I feel like this has been a long time coming and I am so excited to have you here. I am a huge fan of your newsletter. Um, my friend put it on to me. You might even know her, actually, Ife Fred- Frederick. She oh, yes. Me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, she, she had a newsletter as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. put me onto it, like, years ago and I just started and I was just obsessed with it right after we were doing it so I want to say thank you for that <laughs> oh thank you for reading uh, I right. said to your um, book publisher I feel like we have very different missions in many ways but they're underpinned by a lot of the same stuff and when I was reading your book I was thinking oh there's lots of similarities between what we're doing in some ways yeah amazing amazing look it's um yeah because we're kind of in that space of getting to the heart of trying to figure out why people do what they do, right? Um, trying to get to the heart of it all, essentially. Yeah. And also, I think what you do is just, it's about reminding, isn't it, all the time? Because there's one of the people who said to me in my book, like, sadly, our natural state is pretty lazy, um, bit egotistical, just busy just get swept up in our own stuff and actually we all need like little reminders all the time to just kind of remember what's important I think that's what you're doing with your podcast yeah ultimately I'm trying to remind myself because I so I so readily forget um and kind of become a slave to my own thoughts and the thought patterns and it's about digging myself out of those spaces and providing myself with the tools you know to kind of be like all right I need I can I can get through this in in this way I know yeah. where I'm at now this is the trigger and this is where this is where I'm at but again do you so- find do, do you find that because I I'm sure like you spend a lot of time thinking about this topic as I do and sometimes I'm like oh I'm still doing that like even though I learned this lesson I'll just catch myself and be like oh god you know yeah. you can never get yourself out of making the mistakes you just become more aware of them yeah yeah um and it, it, that's kind of similar to what um what alan the bottom says in your in your book as well um which you'll get to in a minute um about self knowledge and um kind of like self evaluation and really just kind of stepping into that space and i think that that's kind of that's, again that's really what underpins the kind of stuff that we talk about and I think that that's um well, I'm so excited to speak to you about your book as well and the kind of stuff that you're doing um but I want to say welcome to the show because I know that this is a beautiful preamble and um I'm going to talk to you about your book um, conversations on love and talk to you about your newsletter conversations on love and just all things pertaining to love and I don't know the 
it'd be right to call you a love specialist. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to. I mean, I do stress, obviously, like I'm I'm not an expert. I think where I tried to come out with the book is showing my own like lack of understanding mm. pretty much and taking the reader on a, you know, rather than saying, here's everything I've learned, it's more me again and again saying, I'm learning that I don't know anything. And actually, the more I study this and ask questions, the more I get comfortable with not only not knowing everything in love, but not knowing everything about myself and not knowing everything about other people. And Charlotte Fox Weber, who wrote your foreword as yeah, well, yeah. She, she said something to me the other day. I've just interviewed her for the newsletter about how love is a really like tolerating otherness and kind of accepting that there's always going to be bits of people you love that you don't know. And I think for me, I was like, so I always thought love was like finding everything out about each other and, you know, just having no corner unturned in another person. Mm. Um, and I guess now I'm much more comfortable in accepting that everybody is a bit of a mystery and there always be new parts of yourself as well that you find and confront. Um, and actually that's kind of what makes love fun. Yeah. And um, I was talking to some people just even in the run up to the, my book coming out and I was just like, I was like, I love talking about love. I love love itself. Like, you know, the familial, the friendship, the kind of colleague, the collegiate, the kind of the, holistic just like the, the world kind of like working with people and learning who they are and kind of the the idea of just you know building friendships the kind of that starting moment of becoming a friend with somebody that kind of delving into um expanding a relationship going further and whatnot so I've always been interested in it and um I wanted to actually ask you just about your newsletter because um your newsletter is I want to say is it monthly or bi-weekly? Well, it, it just, it's it just arrives bit, in my news book. It's, in it's my been a bit sporadic because I've been writing the book yeah. and having a baby, um, mm -hmm. but it's now returning twice a month. Okay. So, so I hope to stick to the more rigid schedule now. Yeah. <laughs> and in some ways it's um, like the book is like obviously an extension of that. So what, so what made you start writing um, now, what is Conversations on Love, the newsletter and the book? But then also, what made you start writing about, about it? I guess I used to always answer this question by saying a psychotherapist once told me that we're all born with our individual questions and mine was about understanding love. But I think actually we're all interested in love from the very beginning, all of us. Um, I think I thought that I was obsessed with love but actually the thing that I was really fascinated by was longing. Um, and, you know, for instance, reading your book and you talk about the men's support groups and friendship and all these different forms of love. But the love that I was obsessed with was pretty much just romantic love and the fact that I couldn't seem to find it or keep it or... And, and also what that said about me as a person. You know, my whole fixation on love was... I want to find romantic love. And if I don't, this means that I'm an unlovable person. Mm. This means there must be something wrong with me. This means I must be too emotional or too intense. Or this is kind of all the thoughts and obsessions about love, which I now realize was just a very narrow understanding of it. And I wasn't really that interested in 
what I now understand to be love at all. Um, I was more obsessed with how somebody might perceive me, how somebody might love me, rather than what it would take to love someone um, or how I could, you know, give to all the different forms of love in my life rather than just waiting for someone to pick me and then that might mean I was lovable so I guess I I've always been obsessed with love as but my understanding of it was very limited so the newsletter was really a way to kind of look at where did I get that idea you know why did I think that having a partner was the only love story of any importance in my life um and how can I keep widening my understanding of love so that I don't overlook any forms of love that I do have um because I guess I like always like we were saying with therapy you think that you've got to a certain point where you've understood stuff and you've moved through it and I thought you know now I see friendship is important now I see family is important and then once I was trying for a baby it was very much a similar pattern and I became fixated on that and thinking this is a form of love and life that if I don't have it, I'm never going to be happy and overlooking my romantic relationship, which was the thing that I spent the first two decades trying to find. So I, I guess I just realized that there's always a risk that we can become fixated on longing for one form of love and overlook all the other forms of love in my life. So the newsletter was saying it was my way, like you were saying, your show reminds you. It was my way of reminding myself all the time love is this very expansive thing and just because you lack one form of it you might want at that certain point in your life doesn't mean that you can't live a meaningful and happy life and actually that's a that's your responsibility to make sure that you do that so it was a way of reminding myself that and also trying to show other people that maybe the things that they feel lonely in longing or I, I don't know like failing in romantic love is a bad grade given on your personality. It seems like a lot of people can feel that. So hoping that I can make the other people who are reading it feel less alone in those feelings. Um, that was where it started out. And then it just grew, just my understanding of love has just like got bigger and bigger and bigger with every year of doing it. Um, and it just, now it's just something I hope that it kind of, as well as making people see all those different forms of love, it kind of, gives people the courage to keep trying at it even when perhaps they do get their hearts broken or they don't find the love that they were hoping to you mentioned like something interesting about longing mm. and um, I wanted to see if you could expand on that just a bit more because um I think that that's something that really resonated with me as I was reading the book and going through it and I was just like yeah that idea that it's something that I've been working through just just being vulnerable kind of like speaking to through my therapist and kind of talking about what that looks like for when you start dating or want to kind of have that relationship but what is it that there's that that longing that idea of saying um I want to be chosen I want that I want to be able to find that um someone to kind of the idea of somebody having all the qualities that I don't have or mm. those things. Um, and I want to be, I want to be all of that. I want to have all of that. Um, where did that come from for you? Was it the Bridget Jones's Diaries films or the, the um, you know, Love Actually's, because that was for me, to be fair. I, I was 
huge into R&B music, so a lot of love songs. I love that you said it was Time Traveler's Wife for you. And time Traveler's Wife. I love wife. that. I loved, I love that film um, and book. I watched it the other day and I, about time, a lot of the Richard yeah, Curtis I love stuff. I don't know yeah. what was in his Kool-Aid, but he really kind of tapped into all of those ideals about love. Um, where was it, where did it happen for you? And like, and just expand on longing for me, if possible. Well, it's funny because you also said in your book that it was fairy t- kind of like stories for you that gave mm. you that. And I think that nearly every person I've interviewed has has said the same thing. And I I always used to say that. And I was somebody who was, a, you know, I'm much older than you. So for me, it was more like Twilight, Dawson's Creek, anything where it was like a tumultuous, yeah. will they, won't they get together? That was what I was obsessed with. Um, but I think it's, I think we say it's that, but I think it's, much more layered than that um and I guess for me you know longing was my first experience of love like my first experience of love wasn't actually a relationship or interacting with someone or sharing experiences with them it was because of my um my first failed teenage relationship you know it was it was very short my kind of can't really call it a relationship but I guess the brief fling but most of the whole obsession and fixation was on not having him and so that longing was what I lived inside it was where I pulled my imagination it was where I wrote is what I wrote about it was just the place that I lived that longing um and I think in adolescence a lot of the time you know especially when you're really young a relationship is you're not really honestly communicating you're not really sharing a lot of time together Mm. a lot of the time you're spending is in your own head so I think that was where I learned about longing but I think it's just longing is you know the uncertainty of not knowing whether you're whether you're gonna end up with someone or whether you're gonna find someone or whether you're gonna find you know a baby or a friendship group or whatever it is that you long for it's very uncomfortable for us to exist in that uncertainty it's such a scary vulnerable place and you know I wrote in my book I was I wouldn't mind if I knew for sure that I was never going to meet someone or if I knew for sure I was going to meet someone in 10 years, then I could kind of be like, right, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'll make a plan. But for me, existing in that state of longing was so, it was just, it's just unbearable, isn't it? You know, you're just like trying to find an endpoint to it, but there's no endpoint. Because it's like, because you're, you're sitting there and you're like, so I'm not in a relationship um, mm. and I'm kind of, edging to the hill of 30 and I'm like and you know which is so young by the way (laughs) but it was actually funny because it's like it was reading just like like everything kind of spoke to me like a lot of the people you spoke to but specifically with this um part of the conversations about Aisha Malik and Mm. what she said about you know going to you know you have that longing but then going to um like family functions or the expectations of people going to these spaces and then you're just like alone and you're by yourself and mm. you're kind of like uh um and they you know they're expecting you I think I feel like the pressures are slightly different for men um mm. it's like they kind of they they people do romanticize the bachelor and the kind of like oh he's just kind of like a law unto himself probably has kids somewhere that we don't know about all these different things I'm just like that's not even and that's not even a nice way to that's not a nice thing to think about like I don't know why yeah you think about it in that way but um but then there's also the parts of them that's just like why aren't you married yeah or why aren't you you know um in a relationship why don't you have kids and all these different stuff 
Um, yeah. Even in speaking to siblings and uh, family members who are women and are my age and are single, when they're looking for um, partners and for men, and they just assume that if you are in your thirties, you are and you're a man and you're single, you're gonna have a kid. There's no. That's so interesting. There's, so there's no reason, you know. And I just find it very strange. I wanted to ask you about this because someone asked me the other day about whether I think longing is gendered and obviously I've spoken to more women than men in the book and they were asking me about the similarities and differences and I realized I don't have like a really big specimen of you know men to ask about this stuff mm. and I guess I was surprised with Alain, with Lem Cisse, with the men I've spoken to how much actually they still were susceptible to that longing in a very similar way and it made me think we actually don't see in films or books examples of men longing as much. And actually, when I interviewed um, journalist Hadley Freeman, she pointed out like why when Harry Met Sally is so good is because you see the men whining about the heartbreak and you see the women whining about the heartbreak. But yeah. in most films, we only really see the women. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like actually, because I guess I'm jealous of men when they're dating because I was somebody who wanted kids, I felt like that biological pressure was like the, the thing that was kind of crushing on my shoulders all the time and so I was always wishing that I didn't have that but mm. do you feel like men are actually just as much susceptible to that kind of longing yeah, I do and I do think that obviously we've been conditioned to not kind of express or explain that there's also mm. that lack of language that comes with it you know it's like um women are supposed to watch romantic comedies and women are supposed to watch the family dramas and women love Downton and call the midwife and all of these you know that all of these shows which are deeply emotional and have all of this stuff and I'm just like but then I see it in I see that kind of denial in a lot of the men in my family and, mm. you know, but they also love watching those things in the company of the women like it's not like they will never seek it they would never feel comfortable enough to seek it out explicitly um as a, group, as, a, as a group of men because it's usually i'm not one someone that's into football or anything so it's usually that is usually where the the, the seat of the of the community happens as the football's on we're all going to come together and watch the football and i'll just kind of be lingering on the fringes because i'm just like i don't really care this is just not interesting enough I'm always deeply interested in kind of like the relationships of between the players and how they work together and like what that collaboratively looks like whereas a lot of um you know specifically with Arsenal a lot of my family are very directing anger at them because of the way right they're having a terrible time at the moment they were having a terrible season but um so but like but I but I did have uncles who were super into Downton and super into that kind of like really um um interesting kind of like the relationship side of those things i did have people who were into bridgerton and into all of those things but and do you i don't think there was no there was no explicit there was no explicit kind of like conversation or i've never seen that from anybody in my family but you know even sometimes among my friends it's very challenging to pull that out of a few, mm. there's a few of us who work in this kind of space and do this stuff a lot that have those conversations but there's a few that just don't feel comfortable 
having conversations about love in that way and did you because I definitely like you were saying that like my parents would say to me by the time we were your age we were married or we had kids or or, yeah. or maybe my mum was two always... <laughs> when I, like my I'm 29 yeah and, and my, my parents had me at like 27 so like, wow you know they yes, had a two-year-old so... by my age by my age you know and yeah they had a, a legion of cousins so it was like similar to my mine were 25 <laughs> and um but and they, and they would often say to me maybe you're just a bit fussy maybe you too need picky. to uh, yeah or, or you know you work too hard and you know you're, you're not spending a time on this but so did you find that similar kind of pressure um so the women in my family like they were the they were said to be, are they being too picky are they being too x y and z whereas mm. the guys well me particularly obviously the guys a lot of my male cousins are in relationships but me it's very much just like oh when you're ready you're ready sort of thing mm, that's um, interesting. it's kind of like a um I'm quite vulnerable in that sense like I'll be like I'm trying I would love to I do all that kind of stuff um and it's very interesting kind of like the reactions and the conversations that you have off the back of that or the lack of conversations you know, like mm. the lack of concern for me it, it, it shows in the lack of concern for me getting into a relationship that way because there would be no questions directed in that way whereas if I was a woman in my family in particular there would be loads of conversations around oh like are you, you know are you looking to start a family do you want to be with somebody let's set up a dating profile for you know what I mean there's loads of that yeah. so the concern isn't necessarily there I don't feel for men you know in that way yeah I see what you're saying so it's like whilst you don't have that pressure you also don't have the space to discuss how you might be feeling about it right so it's kind of just like you're just kind of navigating by yourself and you know as I said as I say about this whole lone wolf thing you kind of just navigate lonely and I'm just like I just don't like that I don't like that men feel mm. that they are just kind of an island unto themselves and they just have to just go out and you know kind of mess up again and bring people bring people into um like you know you go and break hearts because you're not really okay with yourself and you, all these different mm. things that you know you, and you don't you can't relate you can't relate well and that's kind of what um that's similar to what Alain de Botton was saying wasn't he in the in the in your book around um self-knowledge and self-understanding and I found that really interesting because you challenged the notion of self-love and and what that looks like right because he was just like oh everyone talks about self-love but really and truly and I love the way he speaks it's just it just like yeah he, he, just, he, he just dresses you down but in such a nice gentle very yeah I try way. to keep in also moments when I kind of ask a question and then people are like no I try to like show my own yeah. um, mistakes as I was asking questions but I think also like self-love is such an interesting one because I think I used it in a really unhelpful way because I was always told like you'll never meet someone unless you love yourself and for me, that was just another thing of like, oh, I'm not going to meet anyone because I have some insecurities and there are bits about myself that I, you know, don't like. It was almost like that was another flaw. Oh, you can't love yourself, so you're never going to meet anyone else. And hmm. I think that a lot of the people I'd interviewed said to me, like, just like in a romantic relationship, there's no place of self-love that you will reach where you're always going to be compassionate towards yourself and you're always going to be parent yourself or you know it's there are always going to be periods where you 
might treat yourself unkindly or, or think negatively and actually showing that to another person is like part of being in a relationship it's not getting to a place where you love yourself so that you can you know reach this state so you're always perfect with someone actually I think there's parts of like I guess a relationship is a little similar to therapy in that respect of like it's a really really safe space where you can kind of say be really vulnerable and say your worst thoughts or say things that you maybe don't like about yourself and you can like work through that with another person Mm -hmm. so it kind of really doing the interviews really changed my view on that I don't think that you have to reach this perfect state of self-love before you can start to be with another person I think you need to understand yourself like Alan was saying so that you don't hurt that person so that you can kind of communicate clearly and like get over the inevitable bumps and difficulties in any relationship but I think there's just a lot of pressure on people now to love themselves completely and I just don't feel that is realistic I don't know what you feel I do think I do feel like it's real. I, I do think it's realistic I just think that we kind of we do need to manage our expectations a lot like we do know that when it comes to when it comes to that well I guess it's like understanding yourself mm and loving yourself are two different things yeah and you and like every you know the the whole thing that I found in the book is like love is a choice it's not like this state it's not like you can get to this place where you are in love with yourself and that's it it's like a constantly evolving Mm. thing um Mm. so the fact that you just have to reach that before you meet someone just feels like an overly simplistic description of it it's like yeah it's like you have to it's like you have to I'm kind of in this idea that you have to kind of reach a level of self what's the, what's the word self-accomplishment I want to say that you know like completing the levels on like a game or something with yourself yeah, like you've, got to, you've got to get to like level 50 and then yeah. to get to level 51 you have to get through all of those processes pretty well with the bonus with the bonus coins and stuff yeah. and then and then you kind of like enter that part of love from relationships because that's the only way that you'll go in because you've completed that no cheat codes nothing yeah. um you know so you've got to but I'm just like why can't you enter into a relationship and then grow in that and I think because you can and and I also think I've seen people who got together at 13 when they hadn't figured anything out about themselves they got so much and then they just managed to you know there was one thing that um I found really helpful this writer said to me she's like you never choose a person you basically choose how you weather change with and alongside that person because you're both going to completely change you know if you want to be in a long-term relationship over the course of decades and it's more about how you both react to change in yourself and in each other so this, again, it's like the video game, but I, you're, I completely felt the same. And I think that's almost how a lot of people see life, isn't it? It's like you have to get the relationship and then you have to get this and you have to get a job and then you'll get to like some happy place, yeah. which is maybe why a lot of people divorce in their 50s and they get there yeah, and they think. And it's, 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 so, <laughs> it's so wild. It's like, you know, you, you're consistently seeking and searching for the next thing. And I think that's kind of, and that's definitely been in the learning for me mm. personally and I look at it and I and and the, the more I kind of build up those realizations within myself I start to then see these patterns in other people and the sort of things that they're doing because I'm just like you get to middle quote unquote middle age you get to 50s and you're just like 
and you start to see a lot of these relationships start to fray or they kind of go into um I don't know what the word is darkness or they start to languish they start to enter and not darkness they start to stagnate they start to do all these things because they're so they've they've then there's a lack of investment into into that and the learning I think there's a stunt there's a stunting um at a certain point that just hasn't been addressed and when you think about I'm 29 but when I think about 50 I just think that's an extra 20 years of carrying things mm. and it just becomes so much harder to un unsheath that kind of stuff you know which is why I'm so invested in doing a lot of the work now I'm kind of you comfortable do. in doing stuff I don't want to get to 50 and I and I'm in this space and I'm just like harboring resentment harboring insecurity which is insecurity is still be there but it's about figuring out how to navigate that and 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 manage it and you know and have the language to to challenge that stuff I have to say I thought your chapter on towards the end about love was so vulnerable and honest and like just just to write that you know about not having a relationship and wanting one you know I, I think for a long time that's what I found hard is like admitting even that I wanted to find love and I also feel like there's this kind of narrative now that's like you know you have to be independent and you have to be happy on your own and content on your own and I think it's a really delicate balance between not seeking a relationship to make you happy and not like expecting someone to make you happy, but also having the kind of courage to admit that that's what you want if you want it. And I think for me, a long time, I was like, I have to be happy on my own. Why can't, you know, I feel like a failure if I'm not happy on my own. And I think it's for the parents like, no, we are pack animals, you know, whether it is a relationship or whether it's friends or whether it's like community groups, like the men's groups in your book, we need, we do need people. and. I guess that's another thing that I've learned. It's just, we don't have to be these like superhuman, happy on our own, contented individuals. Like it's okay to say, I feel a bit lonely and I want people in my life more. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, I related to so much of what you said in that bit. I was like, oh God, this is this is completely me. You know what, and you know what's actually really funny? A lot of women have messaged me about that specific chapter. Mm. just because they're just like they get it they understand that less so than the men <laughs> like that's no it yeah man has kind of messaged me about that chapter at all so I find that super interesting but um to before I go on to the next thing I want to speak about I do want to kind of speak about what Juno Dawson said about um in your book about the the not texting back and I think that, that was a that was quite a that was, there was a thread of that stuff that was happening up into I could I saw that kind of littered in various parts of the yeah. chapters leading up to that point. And I wanted to get your take on what uh, modern day dating and dating culture, um, from your observations, is is like. I personally don't like going onto those apps. I just don't mm. find it thing, which is why the pandemic was hard for me because the physical interaction of going out and meeting people and connecting with somebody in an environment, in a space, um, seeing, you know, having a conversation and then kind of developing from there was kind of blown out of the window, um, out of the water. And um, 
because and everybody kind of went online and they went on the hinges they went on the tinders and the plenty of fishes and the grinders and plenty of fish is a dark one they, I always know, say, they always say this and i'm just like this is actually very um very weird my, my friend went on plenty of fish and I had a great time so i was like i don't know whether that's what that says maybe about. i just had some bad maybe i just had some bad um, i mean i've been on mostly nearly all of them yeah. um so, if, yeah so yeah so what do you think about like you know modern day dating and then obviously that kind of lack of texting back and the, the anxiety of waiting for people oh God, to message and all of that it's stuff. excruciating i will obviously when was i dating nearly six years ago now so when you say modern dating i don't have experience in the last five years and I know that it changes all the time but from from then and just from interviewing people it, I mean I was exactly like you you know I didn't really like the apps you know I guess I didn't feel like it was a lot of admin first of all and also I just didn't feel like it was the way that I wanted to find someone I thought I would meet someone like on a bench in the park or in a bookshop in this very room or on a plane like like in Alan's or in the library, like in the in time traveler's wife, and you bump into somebody that kind of visited you when you were ten, and then exactly, kind of... <laughs> exactly. So this is how I wanted it to happen. Yeah. Um, but then it just didn't, you know. And and I I felt like I can either sit here and just nothing was happening. I think like you know, in your thirties as well. Like I've dated like friends of friends I kind of asked to be set up by people I'd sort of like I guess just like exhausted all my options and there was just a period where I wasn't going on any dates and just nothing was happening and I was just I just felt like nothing was going to change unless I did something differently so I did sign up to dating apps um and you know everyone can only everyone answers this question from their own experience right and my experience is I did meet my husband on a dating app happen mm -hmm. so obviously oh. yeah obviously now i feel positively towards them because i had a great experience and there's no way we would have met otherwise happen is a, i feel like happen is quite a, a gentle dating app to be on though it's like well, is that the one where you bump into people and it just is yeah like, but it's person, kind of weird so yeah it's very strange cross paths, they call it yeah but it's kind of weird because i'd always like cross paths with a guy in the it like because you're obviously in the office every day and it was just i don't know I think it's just basically what hinges now is the one that everyone was on at the time. Okay. Um, and, you know, the amount of people who I've been interviewing for the newsletter who'd say, you know, dating apps are terrible and, you know, it's the death of love. And then they'd say, how did you meet your husband? I was like, oh, don't feel bad about it, but on a dating app. And they're like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but um, I understand why people are negative about it. But for me, I guess the reason the apps that was useful it was it was a way of me like trying and I think that we don't like to be we don't like to try at love like I had this idea like again from the stories is like someone would find me and I was there waiting and love would come and find me essentially and actually it was a really important part of it all for me to say like anything like work like fitness whatever it is in life that you want to achieve like you you do have to try at it and so I think it was kind of empowering such a trite word, but it was useful for me to be vulnerable enough to say, okay, I'm going to download this thing. I'm going to put some pictures up. And this is me admitting to myself that I really want a relationship. And I'm kind of going to try at it. So it was useful in that respect. But of course, I also went on some terrible dates and yeah. it was, you know, I'd be messaging someone for days and days and then they would never reply. And, you know, I think the, the best way that you can describe the apps is 
after I got married, I got this message from a guy being like, hey, how's things? I was like, we were messaging like three years ago and you never replied to me. You've replied three years later. Like I'm now married. Like This is how long it passed. But you just think that you can like pick up or, again and, and send a five word life. message. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do think going back to like Juno's thing and the longing, like, you know, of course I've wasted so much time on waiting for a reply, waiting for a message. And I think like the analogy I use in the book is like, like a, jam jar right like when you know a relationship's not working it's like you're screwing on the lid but the ridges are out of line and that even though it might look like it's turning like you can kind of feel that it's slightly out of sync and I think that with the text message thing when it's when people are not replying for a long time or when it's a bit stressful or when it's like a bit anxiety inducing in my experience it's just it's just never quite right like you kind of it's know that and when, when someone likes you, like, sadly, they do just reply pretty easily and it's kind of as boring and straightforward as that. So yeah. Juno's thing of, like, no one is too busy to reply to text. Like, yeah. you know, all the reasons that we find yeah. actually, I just, you know, but part of it is is just part of the whole process of it, I think. And mm. if you can laugh about it with your friends, that's the only way I got through those. Are you on the apps now or you just decided to... Nope. I'm just kind of meandering my way through the interwebs and just yeah. silencing myself <laughs> in this pandemic and just trying to kind of center myself in all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's just one of the, yeah, because I mean, I, I, I just kind of live vicariously through my friends who are on there um, until I build up the courage to be back on there and also just build up the courage to be back outside again and yeah. um, slowly become more social in that way. And I think um, my introverted nature is kind of um coming more intensified the more and more we get told that we're allowed to go outside again and I just think um um so so, so that's the stuff I'm going I'm, I'm working through at the minute myself and I think it's that I don't think there's like a right you know you should do apps you should you basically just got to like tune into however you're feeling at that yeah. period in time because it is a lot of effort and I think if you're not in that right place then mm it's very difficult so that yeah. was you know I'd constantly just delete them have a break yeah. if I wasn't really yeah, feeling that I was and then always, go again. I like I mean in my early to mid-20s I was always on and then deactivating and then reactivating and then deactivating and, and then there was sometimes the same people that were on there and they'd be like oh, yeah. so you're back again I'm like yeah. yes I am <laughs> but like I'm bored I'm bored um that's it inevitably it just get to the point yeah. where nothing would happen I get so bored that I would do it and it was just I just kind of see it as just another means to an end mm. like like it's just another way to meet people for real the an interesting um element of all of this because guys it's not just about finding relationships romantic relationships and um you know dating apps and not texting back the book is very much about friendship um, and endings and or, and all of the things that are encompassed in the way that we love and I found the friendship chapter um, the com friendship conversations with Candice very um, Candice Carty Williams so she's the author of Queenie um, and um, I found that very interesting just because I feel I've been feeling quite similarly about my friendships lately and mm. you know, I, in my book I write about male friendships and um, and I'm kind of I'm really interested in the way that men see friendship and I was listening to um, the Daily Stoic the other day and it was talking about uh, Seneca and what Seneca was saying about friendship and how 
and I feel like a lot of men kind of relate to the way that Seneca speaks about male friendships and about kind of because he has the he has the metaphors of the warrior and the emperor and the, the right. you know all of that stuff and a lot of men kind of lead toward that kind of thing rather than um just the, the straight up this is these are relationships that you need to forge um and I wanted to kind of get what your take was on I know you because you, you're in the book you write about you know some of the longest lasting um relationships she had with, with some friends um and I wanted to hear what you had to say about friendship um because I, I do think that that's a huge part of the of the equation that we miss quite a bit um and just to kind of at the beginning when Alan says about the hierarchy of relationships we kind of put friendships at the bottom and I don't think yeah. that that's I don't think that's that fair no and I think it's I'm actually, the, this week's newsletter is with Charlotte on specifically on friendship. Mm. Um, and it, I think it's, you know, we do, obviously it's different for everyone. So in my experience, I had that period of living with friends, seeing them every weekend, seeing, you know, having a lot of time at university or when you're first in London to devote to friendships. And then work gets more intense. Some people have families, some people move out and then it gets, it can be something that drops off unless you actively prioritize it and I think I guess with friendship there's not societally anyway there's not the kind of marker of anniversaries or I, I guess even like labels like Candice was saying that you know you don't have labels in a, in a friendship which is in her case she was talking about it as a security because she didn't have to worry that that friendship would end but in the same way, I think it does make it easier for your friendships to drift if you haven't got, because you haven't got that accountability in the same way. Yeah. So I think like what makes friendships beautiful and amazing and one of the best things in life is like the freedom that we have inside them um, and the fact that we have to actively choose them again and again. But I think that's why it slides down the hierarchy because other bits of life get in the way and it, it's easier for us, I guess like, if there's a fight, you lived with your partner, you know that you have to resolve that fight because they're going to be there in the morning. Whereas when you have a conflict in a friendship, it's much more dangerous because that could be the start of it fizzling out. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a lot harder. Yeah. Charlotte and I were talking about this of like, it's just conflict's a bigger risk in friendship. Um, so yes, I completely agree with you there they are essential and you know it's been like one of the greatest forms of love in my life but we yeah. have to find a way to not let it slip so easily I think yeah so several points on that um definitely what you said what you said Kelly said about you know there are no labels attached to them so you kind of have a bit more freedom inside there which I 100% um get I do have a bit of a issue though because I mean I was I mean recently going through a process of trying to understand where I stand in a lot of my friendships um mm. a lot of the way because I give quite a lot and I felt like I wasn't getting a lot back and it and, it, and I was also questioning to myself what does that mean am I supposed to be getting anything back like what like you know we were taught that we're just meant to give, 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 and then, you know, things are just going to return to us in the way we're not meant to give to get and that lot and that stuff. So again, again, it's been navigating that level of 
understanding um, of relationship within the friendships. How much do you expect from, from friends? How much should you expect mm. from friends that, you know, and I always used to say, because my friend, one of my best friends always used to speak to me and be like, well, why can't you ask for that? Why can't you ask for that stuff from my friendship? Mm. And I'd be like, well, you're not, you're not in a relationship with me. You're like, you're not, you're, you're not like my partner. So there's only so much I can really ask of you. And then I obviously no, like, yeah, okay. Like we're not, <laughs> you're not romantically involved, but there are things you can ask for that you require from your friendship. And it's, just, and it's been a process of learning that you can, that you can yeah. ask for that. And, um, Seneca speaks about fair weather friendships and like um and when I kind of apply this to men it's that those friendships that serve a purpose and then they kind of just fizzle out because you've got what you need from that friendship. So they, they sometimes call it situationships maybe situationships and again like yeah you can apply that to friendships a lot of people apply situationships to so solely sexual relationships but um well, I was just thinking of the way they talk about it is like when you're a new mum and you make friends through NCT, you, you're literally only making friends to talk about your babies and then you might not be friends after that. But actually, it's like a wonderful thing for that period. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But do you think, um, I guess, like asking for what you want in a friendship is important, but because you're doing, you know, you're now working in this mental health space and you're doing your podcast you must have maybe friends from the past who are less like involved in the stuff you're doing now um and I don't wonder if you found how you found navigating those friendships because I went through a period where I thought oh some of those older friends maybe don't see certain bits of me maybe like we don't have necessarily the same interest all the time and where I've got to now is just understanding that you can have friends for different things and actually yeah. friends can see different parts of you and having friends that you just like laugh about old memories with mm -hmm. is actually a fine friendship absolutely um and that is one thing I was learning I was just kind of in this idea that I love that I I, I think that I think men who have friendships who have really good wholehearted emotionally mature friendships are inspiring because I feel like as children, when you see, for example, if you see your dad with friends, mm. it says a lot, you know, about him as a person, but it also makes it okay for me as a boy to think I can have friends, I can have good friends, I'm deserving of having these friends. But when you go up with, um, with a dad who, you know, only sees few, of friends as a uni see like a few trickling around and whatnot but the majority of friends that are a part of the family are your mums yeah um, which is very it's a very gendered thing and um, you know they do say I've been scientists that have just said that you know sociologists even who have been like you know women hold the family the familial relationships mm. you know they do the Christmas cards they do the birthdays they do the x y and z um, and they'll gather people they'll create gatherings and bring friends and a lot of men kind of become friends with their partners or wives friends partners in order for that system to kind of continue whether that be brother-in-laws or whatnot um and I always thought it was important and I always felt like I needed to be within a group of men mm. like a group of 
brothers and kind of like this is who we are like we roll together this is us as a pack sort of thing yeah and I and and I struggled because I'd never had that I'd never had that growing up I'd never had that primary school secondary school university I never had that kind of thing but what I did have were really important small friendship groups of people where I sat with and kind of learned a lot about them and myself through them and one another I didn't necessarily have the the one solid group that I kind of made that you see yeah. in these in these films in the films you, you know yeah. when, you, when you've got that fraternity and whatnot that's I didn't have that but I then also had to come to terms with the fact that that might not just that might not be who I am in a friendship it just doesn't mm. work for me I need to be nomadic I need to speak to other people I need to learn about other people's experiences and how I can be a friend to them how and I can learn about new f- ways of being a friend from them as well um and I always envisage it that if I was to have a, a gathering or a party the, the people within that gathering should be so different that it would make such a colorful conversation and yeah. gathering because it's not going to be the same people everyone's going to have different backgrounds experiences identities ideas because that's a representative of who I am as, as their as their friend I'm learning about them and you know so to be stuck is just a bit yeah I'm interested because I found like where you're at now kind of the cusp of 30 and that was like a big shift in friendship and are you feeling that now? Do you feel like yeah. your friendship's transforming or are you having to like almost actively put more consistency in them? Yeah, yeah. Um, it is shifting. I'm just getting, like, my friendships are pretty much stayed the same in, in a sense, but I'm also understanding, as you said, what friends to go to for what, what friends are, like, like the, clo- the closest friends. Those are the ones that will kind of, like, get, a lot more with regards to yeah. like energy and and whatnot but the, but there's also a wider network of friends who are kind of who are there but they're not necessarily the ones that are able to be there for certain things you know yeah. my, friend, my friend always so like there was one friend I was always planning I was like oh like back in 2018 I was like I want to have uh I want to go away for my 30th I want to have like all my friends there I want to do, 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 do and then she was just basically like to me you know there's travel friends and then there's like friends who are good for parties and there's friends who are good for like dinners and there's each one of those kind of friends don't necessarily work in any in in, outside of those situations (laughs) like and I was just like well how how can you be so compartmentalized and how can you Mm. but then I thought about it and I was like actually that's true there's some people there are some friends who are just not good at holidays for example yeah. with you because you just have, you might clash and it just might be a very difficult and it's intense a holiday it's intense. Intense. and, and yeah. holidays are intense I'm the kind of person I'm happy to relax but I do like to go and explore and do things and you know I mean kind of want people on the same energy with that but then there's also like there's some people that are great but parties who kind of like always bring a good time and then like make make it like exciting but they might not be the people that are good for dinners so that's just a very like you know superficial like yeah. level but there's ones that are good for you know really learning about you know that you go through like for emotional support 
you know yeah. when, when, when you're grieving like who do you go to there's people there that are, that are there for you in that space um, and, and I think it can surprise you that right, yeah. you know who like another um woman I'd interviewed who lost her husband said she was so you know, people who she thought would be there were not and then actually older friends who maybe they hadn't put in much effort with each other like they really came through for her during that time um and it just yeah I think actually sometimes the more difficult periods in life are very useful for kind of showing truth in friendship and figuring out which ones are maybe more real than others um but I think you know thinking about it as like a vital part of love like what all of the what all of love and all this stuff comes down to is kind of not feeling lonely like I think Philippa says like when you're in a relationship it makes you feel lonely like that's mm-hmm. a sign it's not right yeah. and I think with friends like the way that you or in your life like the way that you don't feel lonely is by being seen fully and I think that that means different people seeing you in lots of different ways so exactly as you're saying like you need all those different friends to see different parts of you and exactly. and and then sometimes like maybe you're going through a period of change or you're a bit distant from yourself and and a friend can kind of like remind you who you are can't they yeah. you you can kind of be around an old friend and remember a certain version of yourself that it's nice to flick back into yeah yeah I mean and you know one of my friends he literally one day he just pulled up outside of my house and oh, just called nice. me and was like what are you doing and I'm like I'm um, just because I was going you know busy all the time there's always something going on I'm, like, I'm just working and he was like come for a walk and I'm like all right where are you because you live around here it was in East London and then he was like oh I'm outside I'm like oh okay like let's go and do something then you know and then and then you know he's one of my a romantic friends. gesture exactly he's one of my oldest yeah. friends and it was just like and it was just nice to kind of go out and vent a little bit and just kind of spend that hour just away from all the stuff that I was doing and all the kind of worries that are just inside here and being able to do that and I think that that's kind of what really awakened in me in reading that chapter around around friendship reading that bit that's so not that kind of reminds me um later on Esther Perel says something like I love her I haven't got to that yeah. bit yet but I love her already she, I agree she with says, everything like, she says <laughs> yeah I'm sure you heard her say this before and she says like you tell me that you love someone my next thing is how do you show it and she's talking about how like if a couple's going through you know she's talking specifically about after infidelity she'll just like help one partner figure out like ways they can show up and it's kind of spontaneously and a surprise. And just basically exactly what you're describing with your friend. She's saying that it's not actually about him showing up there and the act of whatever you do next. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just you seeing the intention. So you knowing that he has on a random day thought about you, considered you, and then decided to do something for you. Like it's the intention that's that's it. The biggest that's it. bit of love. That is it. That is it. So <laughs> Just as a few pointers to round up, because this has been, because I'm getting, we know we could speak. We could talk for a long time, yeah. For a long time, just (laughs) But as a point, just to kind of like, um, some final few questions I have is more like, um, do you believe in love languages? Is that something that you um, ascribe to, or do you think it's too kind of narrow? I know it's a bit like a lot of people feel particular ways around this. I mean, I, I'm the kind of person who, whenever I read any news, I'm like, I become, I'm like, this is amazing. And this is so helpful. And this is like, I completely, when I first discovered that was like, 
wow, this is, this sums up everything that I think in relationships and how everybody feels. And I think anything that can kind of make you actively think about your relationships and how you are in them and what you need is useful. So I think that that is so useful. And I definitely can see very clearly what mine are and what my husband's are. Um, I think that when you kind of stick so rigidly to something like that, you know, we're also individual and there will be like overlapping languages for many different people and they'll change so much all over time. So I don't think it's a case of we'll figure out those and we'll do them and then our relationships will be fine forever. But I think it's, yeah, yeah, it's so useful to think about not just what your partner wants, but what, you know, just the process of thinking about what you need to feel loved and safe and secure, of course, is so useful. And what what were yours? So for me, that is words of affirmation. um, Yeah, for sure. I'm a big words man. Because I do think we have this thing where um, we assume that a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, your words don't mean anything, put action behind it and all this different stuff. And I'm just like, no, words, 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 words make sense to me. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I need to know that I, I can tell when you don't mean what you say. That's, that's, that's it. But words of affirmation are a huge, um, huge part for me. Um, quality time. Same quality time so mm. holding the holding the space which is ironic which is the reason why i have a podcast and i write and i do all these things is because i like holding a space and having conversations so quality time and words of affirmation makes yeah. sense um makes sense for me you know um, mine was words of affirmation as well and people find it people who don't have that i think find it find it strange they're like why just words but i think i could not have ended up I couldn't have had a romantic relationship or even a friendship with someone who doesn't like verbally express or, or isn't also up for like sitting down and talking about mm. a relationship or or just basically like having making you feel love. Yeah. yeah, just having a conversation and just kind of exploring what that looks like through deep conversation. <laughs> I don't know, I like, and I struggle with small talk, but, you know, like... It's, that's just me like you know sometimes I want to get deep but have you ever felt like I I just certainly found past relationships that I that was like somehow too needy to need to be told that I was loved a lot or to need to have those words of affirmation and now I realize no actually I guess I thought it was too high of an expectation to think that somebody would verbally make me feel loved all the time and now mm. I just think no it's totally reasonable but not having it makes you yeah. need it more I guess it's, it's yeah I don't think it's I don't think it's too much to ask I don't think it's too much to ask just like somebody would love you to be, love to give you a, a, a thoughtful gift mm. or somebody would love you to help them with activities that they, that they struggle with just to make things easier on them or just as somebody would love to be hugged. Yeah. Or, you know, and just as somebody would love to, you know, spend time with you, even if it's just in silence, but they love to just be in the same room or kind of sit down, or, you know, then it, should be, the it should be one... fine. Yeah, sorry. What, what's the gifts one called again in the... In the receiving language? receiving gifts. Yeah, and it's funny because my friend has that, and I just don't... That's just I don't, nothing I don't that I'm it. interested in. I don't, but it's so important to her yeah. because in her family that was a lot of the time how they showed love 
And yeah. so she, if if somebody forgot her birthday and did buy her present to her, that's like a being taken for granted. Yeah, I've got friends who's receiving gifts is high up, and 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 that gets a bad rep because sometimes they're like, you know, they get classed as materialistic and all this different stuff. Yeah. But I look at it like a thoughtful gift does go a long way. Mm. Um, I I personally am okay with just getting a heartfelt message in a card or like a voice note yeah or something. i'm really not bothered I'm, by that i'm absolutely okay and if, but if people do get me gifts i would like it to be thoughtful i think that's just like a, a standard thing for most people but i um, guess it i guess it comes yeah. back to the friends showing up at your house isn't it it's yeah. a kind of intention yeah. again that yeah. somebody has thought enough about you to not just like go out the weekend before and get something from the mm-hmm. yeah. shop which is probably yeah. what just a i might do thing. <laughs> but it's like you know even if it is like a last minute thing that's just gone to the shop at least make it just a little bit unique their favorite chocolate bar <laughs> the, the, yeah. the favorite chocolate bar or you know what i mean or something because it's just like yeah. well, you can't just just a random thing oh you like chocolate here's one and you're like well i don't like that chocolate but there you go yeah. so yeah the, the love languages are always interesting to me um and i think i will get onto apology languages at another date because they're interesting too oh i don't know but, about apology languages. oh so there's so for each I, allegedly the way it's kind of written is that for each um love language is an apology language that goes, right. that goes over, alongside it expressing regret um remorse um action changing changing actions um etc i can't remember them in i can't remember them at the minute but i will find yeah. them right now but um yeah, so it's, it's just super interesting the kind of the way people kind of navigate through trying to relate better, you know. And, and you know, I saw somebody like poo-pooing love languages the other day and just be like, it's not that rigid. And I was like, the thing is, lots of people do not talk about their relationships and they maybe don't, haven't like learned to do that and they don't even maybe have space to do that. So if there is something, even if it's a bit gimmicky, that comes up and gives them like a framework to discuss that, I think that's, amazing and you know I am um, I actually got this here but uh, I like there's this game from the school of life it's called like connect why you remember have you heard of this remember I, why you I heard of it I, I, I've been meaning to purchase yeah and you know it is a bit gimmicky it's like you pick out a card and it asks you like questions but we um my husband and I did it the other night because we haven't really been spending much time together since we've um have a baby and it's just like even having like half an hour to ask each other different questions and you know it's divided into like appreciation desire i can't remember the other ones but i i just i'm very much like pro any kind of just little tricks or strategies we can find to like make us be more conscious about all of our relationships and and to love better and to relate better and just to be better to one another yeah I think we just need like it's like we're saying at the beginning you need little reminders and if that is reading Gary is it Gary Gary Chapman yeah Yeah. if it is reading that great if it's playing a little game yeah if it's just listening to your podcast or whatever it is I think that we all just need a little nudge to be more conscious for sure for sure okay so um there are Two things I didn't ask you at the beginning, but I'm going to ask you now about a song that you want to add to a playlist that I'm putting yes. together that I'm building. Um, what is the song that you would love to add to this? 
I was going to add um, a song that I've quoted from in the book. It's um, called For You by Laura Marling. Mm -hmm. um, because it's it's got a lyric in it which says, love is not the answer, but the line that marks the start. And I think that that's a useful way to look at how love can help you in a life and that it's not the answer to, it's not like a secret key to happiness, but it is a beginning and it is, an invitation and yeah when I listen to that it just reminds me and treat love like a question mark I guess more than an answer amazing what um, is your playlist like what's the kind of it's just a mish I'm gonna I'll send it to you once I once once, okay. I once I pulse um a lot of the the there's the songs together in it but it's a mishmash yeah. like all my guests oh. are so varied it's just so it's, it's gonna be such a hilarious like collaboration it's literally what I like what I said to you the, earlier about if I have a gathering in a room everybody would be so different oh, this, playlist, awesome. this playlist is that <laughs> like it really is okay um, I'll have to listen to so this. I'm gonna once I'll send it to you once I've kind of pulled it together I'm kind of behind on that but I'm get, I'm just building it at the minute um what I've, you, I've I've made on. one which I've made a playlist for like finding love sustaining love and losing love which are the three sections Oh, okay. mixture of like songs I was listening to at that period and also like whilst I was writing it yeah. um and it's yeah it's so fun okay love to hear that when you when you can when you yeah um what two books you would suggest for listeners to get into well I'm it gonna has to be pick, two, Natasha. <laughs> yeah I know that's what I'm gonna pick because there's so many sort of for want of a better word self-healthy like non-fiction books that I read whilst reading but I was like I'll try and pick one non-fiction and one fiction so my non-fiction you might have had this before is Bell Hooks all about love have you had that on before as a uh, choice no because that's like the seminal that's the seminal text, I feel love, um, yes. and it's so simple and beautiful and useful and I return to it all the time um and I just think it's a book that everyone should read and is one you kind of have on your bedside table and go back to yeah um, and then fiction I wanted to pick um, is a book called Olive Kitteridge by Elizabeth Strout. I don't know if you've come across it. No. Um, and it's, although it's, it's like fictional little, it's almost like short stories, but they're all connected together. And it kind of reminds me of another thing that I was, I guess I'm hoping to do with everything I work on is like, it just reminds you that we're all part of this bigger human family and all the characters are flawed and have mean thoughts and like forgive each other and mess up um but it just whenever I finish like the final page I always just feel like so hopeful about humans and what we're capable of even when we mess up I would really recommend it honestly it's I'm like gonna, I'm gonna, one of the best books I've ever read I think you'll really I, like it I need to take a break and read some fiction so I'm kind of pulling together my fiction lists um, really, I'm, I'm really literally so just good. I'm literally just knee deep in nonfiction all the time. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Yeah, um, thanks for I having me. Appreciate you for having for being here. Um, where can people find you, and how can they get involved in involved in reading the the newsletter and yeah. and the book? So, um, the book. conversations on love is if you go on Instagram, it's conversations underscore on underscore love, and there's news there's details there about how to subscribe to the newsletter. And Conversations on Love, the book is out in July, July 15th. 
So not long. It felt like ages ago. Now I'm like, oh gosh. Oh yeah, yeah. How about not long to go? It, it, it will be here soon. <laughs> um, yeah. By the time this is out, it will. By the time this episode out, the book will be out. So. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so out, out now. Out now. Yeah. Um. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Alex. Um, You've got. Yeah. You make me feel very relaxed. This is one of the first. <laughs> interviews I've done since coming out of like the writing you know when you just don't speak to anyone else and uh, you're really antisocial so yeah oh, you, okay. you create a relaxed space ah oh, that's good I'm, I'm happy I'm happy that you feel good about that well until next week when we talk more and we unpack more of this um I will catch you guys soon and Natasha I wish you an amazing rest of your day yeah enjoy the sunshine <laughs> That was Natasha Lunn, and you can find her book, Conversations on Love, in all forms now. This episode was produced by Pure Creation Media. Do check them out. The link is in the description. As I mentioned earlier in the show, join up to the Facebook community group facebook.com forward slash time to talk support group where we unpack chat ask questions and more based on the topics of the podcast episodes that are there it is a support group for you and is a place for me to directly speak to members of the community so head over to the link in the description and click and join and until then rate review and subscribe share the show and i will catch you next week have a blessed week guys love to you all